0: Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Good Grief. My name is Dr. Christine Malone, and in this podcast, we talk about trauma, tragedy, and survival. In each episode, I will interview someone that has gone through grief in some way, and we will discuss the impact it has had on their life. By sharing these stories, we hope that others won't feel alone should they be going through similar situations. Enjoy. Okay, listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. My guest is going to tell us a story about his brother that passed away and some activity that he experienced after that. So, if you would like to just introduce yourself and then tell us your story about your brother.
1: Well, thank you, uh, Christine. It's a real honor to uh, be on the podcast with you. Uh, I just, you, you and I have known each other, known about each other, but this is the first time we've seen each other's face in real time. I think, uh, and. Uh, uh, I know you're a very uh, high esteemed uh, fellow at the uh, City University. Uh, I'm going to give you a little bit about my my uh, background and, and who I am uh, and some of the more recent things that I've done. And I kind of have a little script here, but once I get to the uh, actual story that we're here to talk about, uh, that's just going to be uh, off the top of my head. And for a couple of reasons is that um, uh, I always say that if you tell the truth, you can tell it. Over and over again, you don't use the same words, but it still has the same essence to it. Uh, but the scripted part I do want to uh, get to and then I'll go to the story. Uh, I'm a Sounds artificial good. intelligence ethics researcher, which, uh, if I'm being honest, means uh, I have more questions than answers. I find AI di- dialogue, uh, even at the highest industry levels to be interesting, but not necessarily overly informative, because that at the end of the current day, the AI industry is selling a product that doesn't quite exist. <laughs> uh, I have a I'm an AI certificate holder from Oxford University, studying under Rob Collins, and have taken Professor uh, Setha uh, Jamthi's AI boot camp for uh, for business at Stanford. I hold a, I hold several certificates from Harvard, uh, one taught by the business school, one taught by the medical school faculty. Uh, My interest is always from the ethics vantage, uh, with the goal of bringing back new learning to my students. Uh, I'm a professor at City University. Uh, I'm an alumnus there as well. I have a bachelor's and master's degree from City U, and I have a Juris Doctor degree from the University of Washington. So, my story today is about uh, loss and healing. Uh, While it may seem fantastical and personal, It's not outside the reach of science or personal spirituality, in my opinion. I wanna start with the science aspect. uh, And I'm gonna start with some research and very kind of novice um, information uh, related to string theory. Uh, String theory suggests that an excitement or stimulus at a point in the universe uh, would be reacted by a particle across the universe. I like that concept because it considers energy and not just physicality. A life and consciousness to me is energy, which although derived from a physical being, is theoretically able to continue. Death, on the other hand, is the end of physicality uh, but not the end of energy. Uh, science suggests energy is not destroyed. Taking those two vantage points, string theory and eternal energy, I theorize that thought energy continues to exist after the physical expiration of the thought generator, which is the brain, uh, all without the benefit of artificial intelligence. (laughs) So in humanness, is that the soul? Uh, So now I'm going to turn to the Uh, personal spirituality of my story. Uh, I grew up in a farm country in Northeast Colorado, uh, and that's where the story of my loss begins. Um, My brother died in January of 1990. By that point, I'd already left the farm in Colorado, had spent a time in the military, uh, and was um, uh, living in Seattle. So... um, I'd like to uh, relate a dream I had about my deceased brother. Uh, And in the dream, it starts out, I'm on the shore, and I see my brother, and his name is Tom. He's my half brother, so his last name is Reyes. Uh, My brother Tom is on a raft in the ocean. Uh, And he's quite a ways away from me, and, and he floats towards me but then he floats away. So to me, that was indicative of his inability to cross back over into the realm where I was residing. Uh, But because of my faith beliefs, personal faith beliefs, uh, I had no problem crossing over in my mind to go to see him. And so I was curious as to uh, what it was that he was hoping to communicate about. So as I started to walk off the beach and on to the water, uh, a massive dream catcher appeared. And it's it's weird because my family doesn't identify as uh, your traditional Native American family. Uh, I have Native American cousins uh, and, and other relatives, uh, but a dream catcher to me doesn't have any... A particular meaning or, or even place in my culture. My culture is more of a Mexican American culture. So I walk through the dream catcher. Uh, my flesh and uh, my flesh is torn away. And for an instance, at least in my dream, I was just a skeleton. Uh, but almost instantaneously, I guess I, I, I turned back into myself. Um, and I guess in retrospect, uh, I haven't really sorted it out. But Perhaps that was the manifestation of spirit standing apart from physicality. I walked to my brother uh, on the water uh, and stood there and I said to myself, well, I know I'm dreaming and I don't want to predispose how this dream is gonna play out. So I'm gonna ask him an open question. And I said, how are you? He says, I'm fine. I'm happy. And he says, but I have a problem. And I asked him, well, what's your problem? And he said, every time I visit mother, she traps me in sadness. And that was essentially the end of the dream. And I woke up and I thought to myself, hmm, well, it was a dream. I didn't really try to control the dream, but I, but I, but I do kind of have a task, uh, and, and I'm not sure exactly how to approach task, but you know, I'll think about it, and, and I'm sure I'll sort something out. So I went to see my mom, and, and uh, I told her about the dream. And I said, Mom, I think what Tommy is saying is that he comes to visit you, and his essence, you, you can feel that. But when you feel it, you're overwhelmed with sadness. And what he wants you to know is he's he's happy. And he wants you to embrace something other than the loss that you're feeling. That is really the end of, of that part of the story. Uh, and I'm going to shift now to... Uh, uh, a different event uh, involving the same brother. Back in 1977, I was living in Northeast Colorado still, still on the farm. My brother had just got back from the army uh, and he asked me one night, can I borrow your car? And I said, well, I guess, why? Why do you need my car? And he says, we'll have a date. Uh, all right. And then he says, uh, do you mind, my, my friend Curtis from the army is coming into town. Do you mind showing him around? And I said, why don't you show him around? He says, because I have a date. <laughs> I said, all right, I'll show the guy around because uh, I had a pickup. And Curtis shows up. I never met him before. And I instantly did not like Curtis. And the reason I didn't like Curtis was because he was very handsome. <laughs> and that's, you know, you can't, you can't uh, overcome handsome in a small town. <laughs> the girls were going to gravitate towards him. So uh anyway uh, Curtis and I hung out together I was probably not on my best behavior but nothing really came up I never saw Curtis again he probably attended my brother's funeral in 1990 but I don't remember him being there but after my brother's death uh Curtis and Curtis right now is a, um, a math professor at Glendale Community College in Glendale Arizona So uh and and just to kind of give a little bit more background, my brother Tom uh, is the oldest boy in our family, and then in between he and I have another stepbrother, whose name was uh, uh, Jonathan, Jonathan J. Reyes, and my name is John Max Torres. So um, my brother would come to Curtis in Curtis's dreams, and he would say, I need your help. and And so Curtis would have to go figure out what's going on. And, and so he'd call up my brother's widow and invariably something was going on that, that he could help. Now she still lived in Colorado, but Curtis owned property in Iowa. So they always drove through that town on the way to Iowa. So he'd stop there and do whatever you know fixing needed to be done. And that seemed to suffice my brother's restless spirit for a while. Well, about, um, I guess maybe 12 years ago, My brother comes to Curtis in a dream. And keep in mind, Curtis and I had not connected yet or reconnected. Uh, And he says, I need your help. So Curtis calls up the widow, Rose, and says, Rose, what's going on? Well, nothing's going on. And my brother keeps coming to Curtis night after night. And Curtis wakes up one night covered with sweat. And Curtis even though he's a math professor, he didn't really use the computer and hardly anything on the internet. So Curtis does the only thing that he could think of doing. He types in my brother's name on a search engine. And the first thing that pops up is a picture of my brother in his army uniform and the caption says, I'm looking for my dad. And it turned out that my brother had been in a relationship with a... uh, I believe I, I think it was Black Crow. I think she was Crow, uh, Native American from uh, Montana. And the re- reason I say I, I think it was Crow because I know that Cur- Curtis or not Curtis, uh, Jonathan uh, John is the name of my my nephew and his wife are uh, Crow and, and Cheyenne respectively. But anyway, uh, uh, a picture of of John comes up, uh, or a picture of my brother comes up on, on John's on uh, John's posting, and Curtis calls up. Uh, Uh, Rose and says, hey, look, this is a family issue. I'm not going to reach out to this guy. So uh, Rose, uh, my Rose's daughter, my niece, Aubrey uh, starts reaching out, uh, gets in connection uh, with this young man. Uh, Pretty soon we're all talking to him. And I had, I wanted to go meet John. And so i had gone to colorado to take my brother or take my dad i apologize to uh see his brother and i was in denver and i called up john and i said hey i'm heading up to billings i want to see you he's like uncle max I i thought you were coming tomorrow i'm like no i'm literally getting on the airplane so please will you pick me up he says yeah i will he lives in crow's agency which is you know it's not too far from billings but it's it's a drive so i fly in and uh, meet John. Now, an interesting thing about John, uh, he had been adopted by a uh, uh, Caucasian family, uh, loves his parents, uh, good people, and they named him uh, Jonathan Maxwell, which my older brother was Jonathan, and my middle name is Max. So that's an interesting coincidence even in and of itself. And uh, so I met with John uh, and uh, we just kind of hung out, had some Chinese food and went to a bar uh, on the south part of Billings, Montana. And we're sitting on the second floor and, and uh, is in the open area on a balcony and drinking beer and tequila. And just talking and he gets a phone call and he says, oh, hey, Curtis. I'm here with my Uncle Max in Billings, Montana. Where are you? And off in the distance, because we're on the second floor of the edge of Billings, Montana, you can see as far off as you can see, we see this red pickup driving towards us, the only car on the highway. And John goes, hmm, well, what are you driving? And he goes, huh, I think I can see you. And Curtis drives up to this bar, uh, you know, and, 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 and here we are, John, Jonathan Baratousk, a nephew I'd never met, and Curtis Gentry, a guy I hadn't seen for 30 years. And the only thing we had in common was a person that had been passed away for, you know, a couple of decades. Um, so after that, Curtis and I reconnected. Now, she's, you know, still a handsome guy. <laughs> and, uh, and and his wife and my wife are good friends. And uh, he was part of the reason I moved down to Arizona. Now, the the kind of the lesson I guess is that you can think of things from a very spiritual sense. And the problem is is that you can't necessarily medicate yourself or guru yourself into some kind of spiritual connection. I don't think we get that choice. I think it comes upon us and we just, if if we're observant, we can go along for the ride and and it can be an amazing thing. Uh, But I believe because of yin and yang, of things that when you do that, there's always a risk of the negatives are gonna come back and hit you really hard. So you, so you have to steel yourself for that as well. Um, and, and I guess, but I think there's also a scientific element here. And it goes back to my, my string theory, but it also goes back to probability. And I tell people what's the probability of three people sitting on a speck of dust in the middle of infinity, And that's the only thing that they have in common is somebody that's been dead for decades in that instance. Uh, And and so that's where I look at both the scientific elements and the spiritual elements. Uh, I'm a very scientific minded person and and I believe in science. Um, But I also recognize that uh, uh, energy around us, it's a little bit like taking a building and having somebody who knows nothing about energy, putting in an air conditioning system that all the parts are there, but none of it works right. Versus somebody who actually takes the exact same parts and engineers an efficient air conditioning system. And that's how I look about spirituality. It's there for all of us. You can fragment it into your existence But it doesn't really do anything for you, or you can find some kind of organizational way of, of, you know, contemplation, whether that's reading, you know, uh, texts that are are inspired texts, Uh, whether it's, uh, you know, being an atheist, uh, reading, uh, uh, you know, just science texts, I think the organization of the mind allows for a, an exploration uh, of possibilities that, that are outside of, of our physical
0: containment. So that's my story. Uh, what do you think? I, I, I've told you before, I was gonna love this story. And I do, I have a, a question. Does your brother still visit you or Curtis at all? Or no? I, I, I think
1: he might've visited Curtis, but it's really tailed off since Curtis and I got together. And, and he doesn't visit me. I don't can't remember of another time. I will say something about Jonathan Bertusk, uh, my nephew. Uh, he's a world-class um, artist. And he had uh, a, uh, a, they call it solar art, where you take a magnifying glass, and you burn it into, you know, images into wood. And he burned an image of Obama as president with the presidential seal. And that hung in the White House uh, during Obama's uh, presidency. Wow. Yeah, so a very that's impressive a, person.
0: That's really cool. Um, as a mom who lost a child myself, I, I, one thing that stuck with me is when you said that you went to your mom and said that, um, your brother told her, told you that he felt trapped by her sadness. I'm curious, what was her reaction to that? Um, cause I would if somebody said that to me as, as a mom, if somebody said, you know, your son visits you and he feels trapped by your sadness, that would, that would impact me.
1: Um, that's a great question. I you know my mom was a very spiritual person as well. Uh, she had 10 kids, uh, one of them passed as a child and she'd always often uh, talk about Bonnie Jean the, the daughter who who left and she would and, and she would say her name and so I think uh, I think she had at least uh, because of, of that experience and really kind of keeping that person alive in her mind because when you when you have loss whether it's loss of a person uh loss of a marriage loss of a job your whole future vanishes in front of you is what you thought it was going to look like and i think because the way she kept bonnie jean alive in her mind because bonnie jean dying as as a baby as an infant uh, didn't have a lot of history but had a lot of uh, possibility, and even Curtis tells me, you know, he, he, we talk about Tom, and I, I always say, yeah, that guy had a lot of upside, <laughs> you know? and and it's and it's a loss, uh, but I think you know we are where we are, and 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 I I think for my mom, uh, I think she was able to maybe find a parallelism there and how to deal with that, uh, and and the idea that. This person can still exist in your heart, in your hopes, uh, in your thoughts, and you can give voice to that person. I don't know. My mom wasn't much of a talker about things, but that's my hope.
0: Yeah, no, I can relate. I can relate to just about everything you just said there. That makes perfect sense to me. So yeah, well, is there anything else you'd like to add for our listeners at all?
1: The the only thing I would add is that um, even though this story, like I said, is you know sounds fantastical and personal, it's it's a real story. I g- gave you real names. You know you can cross reference them. There, I think you can find them on Google. <laughs> I know you can uh, with in Curtis's case. Uh, John runs a uh, or I did. He he ran the uh, uh, the gift shop up at uh, Custer's Last Stand for a while. I'm not sure if he's still doing that. Um, and then there's, you know, the science part of it, and and I just think that no matter from which direction a person comes to it, uh, I, I think that they have the tools that they need, uh, and they don't have to open themselves up to potential hurt, uh, they can still be guarded, uh, but I think that when it comes to healing, the hardest part is to say, it's okay to be happy now, and if you can find that, and it's and that's a deeply personal place for each one of us, uh, that that private place that we have, and you know some people find it through prayer, some people find it through meditation, some people find it from running marathons, you know wherever that's at, uh, you deserve to go there, find it and and find that peace. So that's my. yeah
0: well thank you for that i i happen to believe that yeah we we don't lose the sadness but that we have to kind of absorb that and and learn to be happy again but we don't lose you know the sad memories but we try to at least i try to focus on positive memories um for the people that i've lost for sure so
1: but yeah i mean uh you know because i've lost both my both my parents are now gone and uh i was really fond of my grandfather who passed away and um uh you know i i i think that uh, maybe i just have an overactive imagination but i do reach out to them uh, at least uh, in my minds, and my thought uh, you know my meditations uh because i think so much of and this idea about ai too right they're gonna plug us in and take put it on a floppy disk somewhere (laughs) but anyway uh and that's who we are you know but uh but i think that you know people still exist in in our memories and and they're part of this because you know there's an idea that nothing exists except of, because of our own consciousness i don't know if that's true <laughs> i think stuff exists even if we're not around but but i think that the memories and stuff like that uh, you can make a connection uh, like the string theory idea and the string theory works both ways i mean if you have a positive uh, you know, kind of stimulus, the other string reacts positively. If you have a negative stimulus, the strings that are, you know, uh, disjointed from it, uh, except through the, this kind of theoretical connection, they actually act with chaos. That's what I've read. I'm, I'm not a scientist in that area, but I mean, if you just take that idea and think about loss uh, and, and sadness versus uh, loss and and, and joy, uh, then you you can you can maybe bring forth the joy because you know that it, you're you become a vessel and uh, that you know you're allowing the joy to then reflect back on that person who may not be with us physically, but maybe they're there uh, embracing us, and, and so it's. Uh,
0: great way to describe it. I I have never thought about it that way before. It's a great way to describe that, though. I like it. Well, Max,
1: I'm excited excited about your podcast. Yes, Uh,
0: thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate your time. It was very nice to meet you face-to-face or see your face so (laughs) on my screen here. Um, I know I'll see you in email form, of course, at work, but um, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Good Grief. To hear more about my personal story, please pick up a copy of my book, The Day I Became the Spider Killer, a memoir of trauma, tragedy, and survival, available in paperback, Kindle, and Audible via Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other online book retailers.